Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers, or maybe you are, but no job offers. Or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood, and I'm releasing a new course ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Angular Story. This week, we're talking to Lars Brink. Lars, do you want to say hi? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Hello from Denmark. Denmark. You know, my great, great, it might be three greats. Grandmother was Danish. Right. Came over to America. Yeah. You so, so we're related. Somewhere. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're practically family. So that, that's awesome. Now, do you want to just give an introduction, tell people what you do over there in Denmark? Yeah, well, I've been working at various companies through my career, and um, I try to to focus on uh, front-end development, so JavaScript. Uh, At this time, it's Angular, of course. Mm -hmm. But in the previous years, it was AngularJS, and before that, it was Knockout.js with the Randall framework. Oh, wow. Um, so I've also been developing C-sharp, and I started out with uh, PHP and a lot of SQL as well. So, But I really enjoy front-end development the most. Nice. I'm actually, you mentioned Durandal. I'm talking to Rob Eisenberg uh, yeah. in a couple days. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, he's. I, I think he's a great guy from what I've heard. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he, he actually worked on the Angular router. He did. With the Angular 2 team at that point. Yep. He also worked at Microsoft. He, he kind of, uh, yeah, he does that now, but he kind of uh, branched out to create his own um, Aurelia, right? Yep. Yeah, and Aurelia, I mean, it, it had a large amount of basis that, you know, in the lessons that he learned from Durand also. Yeah, and it's also got the enterprise support. So, guess that's attractive to some companies. Yep. In fact, I think on this show, um, for people who are listening, his episode will come out in two weeks. Cool. So. I look forward to that. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about you. I mean, how did you get into programming? Oh, it started when I was five. <laughs> I got a, I got a, a Commodore 64 uh-huh. computer from my parents. And I think my brother and I, uh, we broke a about four, four or five of them <laughs> before oh, wow. they, they bought us a Nintendo entertainment system instead. <laughs> so that was where I, I started to put something into the computer. You know, there was this right. load command to spin up the game from the tape station. Uh-huh. So it was kind of a, the first insight into the computer world, even though it was not programming per se, but it got me interested for sure. Right. So I moved on to PCs from there. Um, started configuring my own PCs and installing them with hardware and software. And then I got into HTML, actually, in, I think it was 1999. Mm-hmm. Back when uh, I, I wrote my first website with Notepad and right. using nothing but HTML4. So a friend of mine introduced me to this and... 
I was hooked <laughs> from the very beginning. I, I thought it was very cool to be able to kind of publish something myself. And well, HTML is not programming as most most people think about programming, but right. but you get to create content, and I, I thought that was very cool. And the internet was brand new and exciting. And uh, then later on, I. I decided to create a career of it. Uh, so I went to the University of Aalborg in Denmark, studied computer science for three years, and immediately started developing full-stack uh, web solutions. Awesome. So uh, you, you mentioned Knockout and Durandal and AngularJS and then yeah. Angular. What, what systems have you built stuff in in the back end if you're doing full-stack? Yeah, as I mentioned, I started out with PHP and I decided to use the framework called Laravel. Mm -hmm. It's kind of loosely based on ASP.NET MVC. Uh, it's really a, an enjoyable framework. Um, so I built a, a RESTful API with that and then a Durandal app on top of it for the front end. So that was cool. Uh, and it was MySQL backend mm -hmm. or a database. And uh, later on, I've worked with ASP.NET MSC and ASP.NET Core MSC as well. Entity Framework, Entity Framework Core, and yeah, a lot of CMSs and e-commerce systems as well, mm -hmm. and WordPress also. So I've been around <laughs> in a lot of systems. <laughs> yep, makes sense. Yeah, it's just interesting to kind of see the, the breadth of things. So are you primarily doing Angular now, or are you still doing full stack? I'm so lucky that I get to, at this point, develop Angular every single day. So I really get to get in depth with a lot of things that you don't normally touch if you just build a small app and then move on to the next one. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty cool to challenge Angular <laughs> as a system and get to the edge cases that are not well documented and you have to figure it out on your own or dig deep in on Stack Overflow or source code from Angular and stuff like that. Very nice. So, so yeah, I'm curious. So you've been doing full stack for a while. You start, you know, you're working in Knockout and then Durandal, or maybe I got those in the wrong order. But eventually you come around to Angular. What was it about Angular that, that made you interested in that? Well, actually, at my first job, I got to choose the, the front-end framework, and I decided not to use AngularJS. Uh -huh. I was... Uh, pretty new to JavaScript at the time, and I found the documentation to be confusing and just overwhelming. So it was the documentation of Knockout that got me to pick that one in favor of, of AngularJS. Mm -hmm. And Ember was a strong contender as well back then. It was in yeah. 2013. So that's like a generation or two in <laughs> in the web, web world. Yeah, so, so Angular... Well, I moved on to AngularJS in another right. company. I, I thought that it was it was a strong framework and um, it was good for enterprise kind of more complex applications that I was uh, developing at at that point. And I really wanted to to move on to Angular, but it was in release candidate at that right. time, and you remember how that went. <laughs> so <laughs> I, it was in the summer of 2016, and I I looked at it at an and decided not to use Angular because, oh, it's release candidate. So mm -hmm. it's pretty pretty close to done, but 
it just wasn't so many things got changed around so i was happy I was that I, I i chose an release candidate so yeah <laughs> oh i've had some stories about people who jumped on and in the beta and oh yeah really got the faces hammered by the release candidates yep. <laughs> so yeah so i decided not to to start on angular back then but I, I got the opportunity to to do that in my current job. So mm -hmm. I'm really enjoying it. It's a large and complex framework, and I get to learn new stuff every day. It's always a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it, it's interesting just, you know, seeing that, you know, the transition that they went through and things like that. And, and everything they went through. I, I am curious, though, so what, what features did Angular have that Knockout or Durandal didn't have that made you think, oh, this is ready for enterprise software? Well, when I chose uh, Knockout in back then in my first major uh, web project, I had to support Internet Explorer 8, so I couldn't even use uh, ECMAScript version mm -hmm. 5 yet. Well, some of it with polyfills, right. but... I don't even, I'm not sure if Babel was around back then or it was mm -hmm. brand new. It was not well integrated into our workflows. So we had to, well, actually, we used CoffeeScript back then. Uh, are you familiar <laughs> with that one? Oh, yeah. 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 It became the default in Ruby on Rails before I uh, uh, moved on to play with other versions of JavaScript compiled languages. Yeah, it was the, the popular transpart language back then. I also remember studying TypeScript to consider that. It was it was not a, that appealing back in version one. They had their own kind of module system. They call it namespaces because it was Microsoft. So it had to sound familiar to C-sharp developers. But it was not, not as strong as the, the ES6 module system has become. Right. But, but CoffeeScript, it removed a lot of the... Um, the stupid errors, that that's also a, yes. a strong side of TypeScript now because it, mm -hmm. it, it didn't allow you to do, say, for loops where you use the same variable between inner and outer loops and stuff like uh -huh. that. So it, it, it hit a, a lot of the nasty details of JavaScript away. So that was kind of the, the thing the team and I liked about CoffeeScript back then. Today, uh, I wouldn't pick CoffeeScript again because JavaScript has surpassed it in features, so it can't keep up anymore. And I'm I'm kind of nervous that it will be the same thing with TypeScript, but it's it's good for now. But I'm I'm worried that in five years we'll look back and say, oh, I did would use TypeScript for such <laughs> a large project. It's out of date and because it was the best option at the time. Yeah, but Microsoft is backing it, so. It's a pretty yeah. good opportunity that it'll be around and, and, and good for another five or ten years. Well, the other thing is is that TypeScript follows the ECMAScript standard. They just implement some of the proposed language features. And so, you know, I, I think it's going to continue to be relevant as long as they continue to stick to the path that JavaScript's following. And sure, you yeah. know, with WebAssembly and some of the other options we have, you know, maybe we'll wind up with a a better compiled language that we can use that works faster, better, whatever in the browser. But, you know, for now, I, I think TypeScript's kind of the way to go. Yeah, and I, I enjoy TypeScript, and it allows me to catch a lot of those stupid errors that everyone makes once in a while. So, But I like to 
very much uh, use use the types a lot. So it's a type language. So let's really exploit that we have the types. But then you get pretty far away from JavaScript syntax. So say you have some source code in your editor and you copy paste that into your browser console, you have to remove all the types to get it running there. Yeah. So this kind of a, a problem for the workflow there, the available workflow with, with that. You, we say that it's yeah, it's just a superset of of JavaScript, but it really adds quite a few features yeah. to it that we have to peel away again if we want to make it vanilla JavaScript. Yep. No, that's true. Also, um, um, the, they use their own uh, experimental implementation of decorators because it, because it hasn't been standardized yet. Yet, mm -hmm. so the the semantics could change, and that's we. True could be forced to to modify all of our code that uses decorators. And that's mm -hmm. quite a lot in Angular projects. Right. That's true. The decorators are used everywhere. One thing that I would like to uh, talk to you about is making the transition then from AngularJS to Angular. So are you using Angular now? And yeah, what, what process did you go through to make that switch? I didn't have to upgrade a project from AngularJS to Angular. Mm -hmm. uh, so... I just had to start from scratch, and uh, both with regards to the project and with regards to learning the new Angular because it is substantially different than Angular JS, mm -hmm. and um, I'm I'm not sure even sure that it's it's beneficial for for a lot of people to upgrade their Angular JS app as opposed to just building new features in, in Angular and building it on, on top of the other one, if that's possible. Right. Uh, but we are the transition. Well, I wouldn't want to go back to AngularJS. I really hate that. So I've become happy <laughs> with Angular and uh, all the benefits that it, it brings when once you once you get a, a strong um, idea about the, all the concepts. But that's a lot. That's the thing. That's the one thing. There's so much to learn about Angular. and even when when really working uh, in depth with it every day for half a year or a year, there's still new things to to explore every single day. So yeah. it's it's just really a large framework, and I guess that's part of the reason why many people choose React or Preact or Vue instead of Angular because it's really overwhelming, especially for newcomers to learn about Angular. I, I had to to create an introduction to to Angular for my colleagues. They are C sharp WPF mm -hmm. developers, and I had to to make a presentation that introduced them to to Angular without getting too technical because most of them had never tried web development before. So I had to really get to the core of what is Angular and what are the benefits and what are the the other choices uh, in choosing a framework. So I got to, I, I decided that the core of Angular is the most important concept is the components. It is a UI framework after all. Yep. It has a lot of other features as well. And this introduction was an, an hour long talk. I could probably do 16 of those to just introduce the different parts of Angular mm -hmm. to the team. But I, I chose to show them the components models and binding in this templates and all the syntax. And there's a lot of syntax as well. Actually, the syntax was 
the thing I was mostly scared of at first when I saw the kind of the Angular, upcoming Angular version when I was working with AngularJS. I thought that this is so far away from HTML and it's never going to work out. They have to stop stop making up this uh, all this new syntax. It's not even valid HTML. <laughs> <laughs> so, so actually, you can make it valid HTML uh, without all the square brackets and star annotations and uh, parentheses and stuff like that. But I, now I actually enjoy it. But that's because I I'm able to read it like a like like a native tongue language to me. Mm-hmm. I I read the declarative language that the template is, and behind the scenes it's JavaScript that's generated. So that's what I see. Mm-hmm. But that's definitely not what you see once you first get to learn about it. It's right, and it's it's really overwhelming because there's so much new syntax. It's not just JavaScript, and that's the maybe the, another thing that's React, that people love about React, it's mostly JavaScript. Yep. Well, what is it that you particularly like better about Angular over AngularJS? Oh, well, it's the performance. Mm. <laughs> That's the most important thing. It's important, yeah. It is the, the, the option we have to, to kind of fine-tune and adjust the performance because that was really difficult before. Yeah. And also, I'm really now getting the hang of RxJS, and that's quite an enjoyable library as well. You can yep. do a lot of interesting things with async using RxJS, and it's mm-hmm. a lot more power- powerful than promises because of lazy el- evaluation and a lot of different operators. Yep. So that's the two main things, is the performance optimizations uh, with the change detection strategy and the bindings to observables or promises. And uh, RxJS. That's what I love most about Angular compared nice. to AngularJS. So, what have you done in the Angular space that you're particularly proud of? Uh, well, I'm working on um, quite a few articles at the, this point, and I'm uh, just about to to release two of them. It's kind of a, a whole series on a design pattern I've developed based on the classical model view presenter pattern, but uh-huh. applied to Angular apps. I presented a talk on it back in May this year at a user group meetup about Angular called uh, NG Aarhus. Aarhus is the second largest city in Denmark. And uh, in a few weeks, I'm going to Copenhagen, which is the capital of Denmark, and presenting the same talk. But I've improved a bit on it uh, since then. Uh, on working with the, the articles, I've discovered even better ways to do things. And um, I. I actually, I get to publish it on the, the medium publication called Angular and Depth by mm-hmm. Max Wizard, uh, Koretsky. Do you know that one? Yep, I talked to Max last week. He was at Framework Summit. Yeah. In Park That's City, right. Utah. We, we chatted a little bit. So he's been very, very helpful in uh, editing the articles and pub will be publishing uh, on his publication. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that. So that that must be the thing I'm the most proud of. And it's released uh, for free. Mm-hmm. I'm happy about that as well. Um, I think there's almost enough material that I could write a book about it, but then <laughs> not as many people would get access to it. 
yeah because it, it would cost a some amount of, of money i'd much rather post it online for everyone to enjoy and get some feedback as well yep that makes sense so what are you working on now you're working on this this talk are there other things that you have in the works yeah the articles um I'm finishing up the first and second article, and there'll be another four or five, I think, about that mm -hmm. one subject. But they will be self-contained and and uh, just focused on one topic at a time. Right. Uh, they're like three main concepts in this pattern. And one is container components. The second one is presentational components. And mm -hmm. the third one is my version of a presenter. Um, and I explain a bit about the history of the different variants of uh, the model view presenter pattern back in the 90s and noughties as well. Besides that, uh, yeah, I'm improving my talk for next month. And I'm working a lot with RxJS in my spare time. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm, I'm building a small progressive web app that'll have Firebase as a backend. And that, cool. I think that's very very cool to get to work with new uh, technologies and get to learn about offline first apps and the you can that you can install the apps kind of natively on most platforms now that makes it really interesting so yep. we don't we're not dependent on the, the the official app stores for iOS and Android anymore that's a thing of the past now and i'm hoping i can deploy it on my Xbox one as well <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's running Windows 10 today, uh -huh. so it has the newest version of Microsoft Edge browser, so it should mm -hmm. be able to support progressive web apps. So that'll be cool. Sure. Nice. So the the last question I have before we go to Pix is if people want to find you online, you know, read these articles, find these talks, maybe follow you on Twitter, check you out on GitHub, where do they go? Yeah, I have I have a few projects on GitHub uh, that I work on from time to time, so that's definitely a, a place you want to to find me. I'll post a link, of course. I'm a, a little bit active on Twitter, but not that much. I would much rather prefer that you you read my articles when they are published on Medium. So just keep uh, keep up on the Angular in Depth publication. So you post all your stuff to Angular in Depth? Well, it will be my first. Uh, public articles that will be oh. released there. So for now, yes, everything will be there Okay. in that place. Awesome. Yeah, if you can put those links in the chat, then we'll make sure they wind up in the show notes. Yeah, great. All right, do you have some picks for us? Some things you want to shout out about? Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. 
Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Yeah. And besides the Angle and Death uh, publication, of course, which uh, has all the best Angular articles out there, I've been reading this book about RxJS and reactive JavaScript programming in, in general. Uh, it's called Mastering Reactive JavaScript by Eric de Souza Oliveira. And in that one, you learn first, you learn BaconJS, mm-hmm. and then he moves on to teach about RxJS version 4, which is quite a bit bit different from RxJS 6. But the, the main thing about this book is learning the, the basic concepts of observable variables and how they can be composed on top of each other and operated on. So that was really a, a good book to learn about the basics of functional re- reactive programming in JavaScript. So I'll type a link for that one as well. And the last pick will be the Angular Router book by Victor Savkin. That's the best uh, resource out there on the router. Victor is a super smart guy. Yeah, he is for sure. All right, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks. I don't have anything prepared up front. I'm going to, so I'm just going to wing it. (laughs) So a couple of things that I've been using lately, one of them is Azure DevOps. And there will be an episode coming out on Adventures in Angular about Azure DevOps, also on uh, JavaScript Jabber. I'm posting it to both. But uh, yeah, I did an interview with Donovan Brown, who's fairly well known in the DevOps space. And yeah, we talked about Azure DevOps. If you're familiar with Visual Studio Team Services, this is essentially a a rebrand and redesign of that. But I've been really happy just doing my uh, development uh, projects in it and keeping track of everything in there. So anyway, I'm really liking it. It integrates nicely with, uh, you know, all of the CI features and things like that. And the best thing about it, in my opinion, is that it's free. So it's it's free yeah. up to like five or six team members, which is also really nice. So since, you know, I'm currently the only programmer on several of these projects, I don't have to pay anything. And so that's that's pretty nice. Another one that I'm going to shout out about is I've been using a chat system. It's kind of a Slack clone. It's called Mattermost. And you can go and install it on your own server. And it's it's been pretty nice to use as well. Um, I use it to keep up with my team, so my editor and my producer and things like that, and make sure that everything's going the way that I need it to. So that's that's been pretty awesome as well. So I'm going to shout out about Mattermost. And yeah, that those are my picks. Lars, this has been really fun just to talk and, and see where things are at. I am a little bit curious before we wrap up. Do you want to just talk briefly about the community in Denmark? What What's it like being a developer in Denmark? Oh, it's challenging. You You really have to keep up the pace yourself, especially because I, I work in one of the least popularized regions of, of the country. Basically, there's only two cities where all the jobs are, and I live quite a far distance from both of them. So <laughs> I, I don't get to spend too much time in person with with, with the experienced developers in, in Angular and stuff like that. So when I get an opportunity I, I go to user group meetups and uh, online conferences and stuff like that and i'm quite active on the angular beers european slack uh, community as well so that's that's how i get to be social in the angular community 
right? So do you generally work from ho- from home then? Uh, sometimes I do because I get to pick up my, my seven-year-old twin daughters from school and then I, I go to the basement and, and work from my home <laughs> office. But most days I'm, I'm at the office building. Okay. Uh, so there is an office somewhat near you? Yeah, like 15 miles or so. Okay, that's not too bad. No, and I, I drive on a motorcycle all the way around. Oh, nice. <laughs> Even when it's icy? Yeah, like minus four degrees Celsius last winter. Yeah, and I don't for, know what for, it is in Fahrenheit, but it's pretty damn it's cold. It's about twenty-five degrees Fahrenheit. It's below freezing. Yeah, right. So that's that's pretty freaking cold. <laughs> yeah. There were two days the the last winter when I had to take the bus because there was like ten or twenty uh, centimeters of of snow, so I couldn't drive the bike even if I wanted to. So. But there was a bus almost the entire way to the job, so it was not too bad. Yeah. So in the previous episode, I know, folks, we did picks, and now we're talking about Denmark. In the previous episode, I talked to somebody from Bulgaria, and we had an interesting conversation. And it sounds like it's it's somewhat similar in Denmark, where, yeah, you've got a couple of big cities that are sort of tech hubs. And then if you're outside of that, it's really tough to find a job, especially one that you can drive into, right? I'm curious... Are, are people pretty willing then to hire remote if somebody does live outside the city? Oh, it's very different from company to company. Some of them, mostly the kind of the older companies that's been around for decades, not a lot of them have worked it into their culture, company culture yet. Right. There's, some people just find it difficult not to have your colleague in physical appearance in, in the office every day and for some reason, it's more difficult to communicate through the phone or Skype, uh, mm-hmm. something like that. And I get that, but it's just the way things are, especially in, if you are in Denmark. You have to work that way un- unless you, you're living in Aarhus or Copenhagen. So you have to get used to it. Right. Yeah, um, I found that working remotely is a skill. Or yeah. a set of skills is more like it. So you have to be really good at communicating and yeah. you have to be really willing to, I guess, communicate or collaborate over things that you typically wouldn't think about because it's natural when you can just lean over and tap somebody on the shoulder. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. So I, but I have worked remotely some of the days of the working week at, at several jobs because at one point I was commuting five hours a day to get to Aarhus, mm-hmm. 100 miles each way. So some days I work from home. And I actually did that for a couple of years when I was commuting for several hours a day. Mm-hmm. And as long as I was happy about the job, it was not too bad. But when I was less happy with the job, it just got annoying to <laughs> try to spend all those hours on the road. Yeah, I can understand that. I mean, my longest commute ever was half hour, maybe. So oh, Really? <laughs> But but I live in an area that has a pretty strong tech scene, so I didn't have to go through too much in order to, you know, keep what I want or get what I wanted. But yeah, I definitely understand that. So do most people in Denmark speak English or is that definitely. another barrier that people are going to have as they try and pick up programming? Only the older generation do not everyone speak, speak English, but my daughters have been speaking English since they were like three or four years old because of iPads <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and they, in the 
in the public school, uh, the children are taught uh, English in the first grade. Oh, wow. And German in the, I think, the fourth grade or so. Okay. So everyone speaks English and some German as well. Hmm. That's interesting. Very cool. Well, is there anything else that people should know? I mean, it's always interesting to me living in the U.S. and talking, I think most of the people I talk to are in the U.S., you know, even though we do these remote calls. Are there things that people just don't think about that, that you have to deal with being a developer in Denmark? Or is it pretty much the same there as it is here with a few minor exceptions? There's not that many big companies. Mm -hmm. And those are the kinds of companies I enjoy the most. So it's, it's difficult to to find a, the right place. Right. right now I'm in a global company that has got offices all around the world. So it's pretty cool. I've I've been through you know, quite a few companies and the work cultures are just very different from place to place. Mm -hmm. So you have to figure out how things work there and who has got the final say in which matter and who's really the boss <laughs> when it comes down yeah. to that. And yeah, there's, there's just a lot of small companies in Denmark and only a few very large software companies. Gotcha. And those are usually just branches of either Google or very right. small branch of Facebook or Uber or something like that. Uh, or else it's in banking. Banking is the only large software sector sector in Denmark. Interesting. Very cool. So so does that change does that change the way people find jobs in Denmark then? Or do you think it's pretty much the same as we do it here? Well, if you don't want to, if you don't like to work for a bank, you've got a problem there, right there. <laughs> because that's like half the jobs. Right. And right now, my, my company's primary industry is red meat, and some might not like that as well. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the one major issue is that if you don't like uh, certain industries, that'll make it that much harder to, to get a job as a programmer right makes sense all right well i'm going to go ahead and wrap this up but uh, it's been really interesting just talking about yeah all the different aspects of things and how you got into angular is there anything else you want to share before we wrap this up uh, i would encourage people to write a blog post or create a small open source project that's what i do when i get bored <laughs> when i just want to learn something new and when you get to teach uh, other people around a subject, you really get to be an expert on that subject because you have to know the details about everything to be able to explain it well to, to other people. Yep, I, I agree. And yeah, there's, there's nothing better than just having that opportunity to share it. And yeah, when you, especially when you're practicing or revising a blog post and realizing, oh, there's something else here to pick up. There's something else here I need to know better. It's, it's a terrific driver for that kind of thing. Yeah, and also, I'm not sure I mentioned the, the titles of my articles. Uh, the first one will be called Model View Presenter with Angular, and the second one, Container Components with Angular. Awesome. Well, uh, hopefully we'll get some links in for those two, and uh, yeah, uh, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening, and uh, we will be back next week. And in fact, next week's episode is going to be with uh, Joel Tanzi, who is another Angular developer. And then the week after that, as we mentioned, is going to be Rob Eisenberg. 
bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. 